0: All right. Hey, welcome everybody. Welcome to another Sunday at New Life. Come on. High-five the person next to you and say, welcome to New Life. Welcome to New Life. Come on. Yeah. I know. It might be your spouse. It might be your kid. It might be a complete stranger. It's okay. All right. I want to say welcome to you guys. Welcome everybody that's at one of our remote campuses uh, out in Ogallala or out in North Platte. I just want you guys to know we are one church one church in multiple locations today. We're excited about being on mission for God. We know that God's called our church to do this. He hasn't called every church to do that, but that's what he's called us to do, and we're finding a lot of joy in being one church in multiple locations. So that means, look, if you ever find yourself in any one of those communities on a Sunday morning, worship with us, okay? Oftentimes, you'll have somebody from North Platte. I'll be here in Kearney. Uh, or somebody from Kearney that's out in Ogallala. It's really exciting. You know what's really cool? This is like it blows my mind away. There's family members that live in both communities, and they both attend the same church. And then after church, they'll call each other. Hey, what did you think about that sermon? Or what did you think about this? Or what did you think about that, right? And I just think that's amazing. That's incredible. So I'm glad that uh, you guys are uh, able to be in, uh, in the same church, but living in multiple communities. Hey, we're in a teaching series. We entitled it 2020. How many guys can see this clearly? Okay, good. All right, good. Just checking, just making sure. It's 2020 is the, is the series title. It's all about helping you get a clear spiritual vision for the year. I want you to hang on to that, okay? Because you're going to need that for the rest of today's message. Because there's parts of today's message that are going to be a little uncomfortable, okay? Just a little uncomfortable, all right? So just say this with me. I still love my pastor, even though... He makes, me feel he makes me feel uncomfortable. Okay, all right. Remember that. You said that, not me. All right. Actually, I did say it, and you repeated it after me. But nevertheless, you still said it, all right? So it's on record. All right. Uh, okay, look, today, today, I know this one thing about you, okay? That you're going to wake up tomorrow morning feeling different than you did today. And the reason for that is because tomorrow morning, you have to go to work. Today, today you got to come to church. Today, you voluntarily came to worship. Some of you, you drove a long ways. Like my eye just caught a couple that I know drives all the way from Callaway. Some of you, you drove from just across the street. But it was voluntary. Like you came and like it was your choice to be here today. But tomorrow is going to be a different story. How many guys have to wake up tomorrow and go to work? Come on, let me see your hand. (laughs) I love it. I love it. All right, how many guys are just gonna love it tomorrow morning? Don't raise your hand. Don't do it, don't do it. All right, some of you are like, I'm gonna love it. And you know what, I'm thankful for that. But there's a lot of people that are gonna wake up tomorrow. In fact, they wake up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, okay? And they no longer sense that they have a meaning or a purpose to their life when they're going in and they're clocking in and they're doing this thing called work. And over time, when work no longer has meaning, and it no longer has purpose, then you can kind of start to resent it. And as resentment grows, then it starts moving to anger. And it even starts moving to a hatred for the job. Now, we'll have different like, parameters or definitions that we'll put on our feelings towards work, and we'll blame it either on a person, or we'll blame it on the work environment, or we'll blame it on the actual you know, technician part of the job, I just don't like doing the actual job, whatever it is, but we, we tend to like, all of us tend to kind of go through these moments or seasons, some of you might be living in it now, some of you may have lived in it in the past, some of you may deal with it in the future, but everybody at some point walks through a season where they're frustrated, they don't find meaning, they don't find purpose, and sometimes it can escalate all the way to a hatred for their job. So I thought what we would do today is this, let's see if we can find ourselves in some memes that I found online, because I was like, wow, I'm going to talk about a heavy thing like, you know, finding worship in your work, and wow, some people are going to have a hard time connecting with this, how can I make this more enjoyable at the beginning, what kind of humor could I bring to it, and so I decided to use some memes. If you don't know what a meme is, ask somebody near you that's 20 years uh, old or younger, okay? Okay. But see if you find yourself in any of these memes when it comes to your attitude towards work. Things I hate about my job. Getting out of bed, people, and working. I'm thinking about this meme more like, you just don't like life. I'm, that's what I'm thinking more. I thought that was an overall general. Let's, let's boil it down. Let's see if you find yourself in the next one, though. All right, so, so here's, a, here's a one. So how do I tell my boss I, I don't want to work anymore, but I still want the money? Anybody find themselves in that one? Okay, all right, don't have to raise your hand. Please, don't raise your hand. Do not, don't don't, self-identify in any of these, okay? Just do it through your laughter, um, which all of you laughed. Okay, oh, let's do the next one. I'm quitting to pursue my dream of not working here anymore. I'm just thinking if that's what you're dreaming about every night, your days are not very enjoyable, right? You see what I'm saying? Okay, let's, let's tackle a couple more. Let's go to the next one. It's a cartoon. All right, here's the husband. Wife says to the neighbor, it's his first day back at work, right? He doesn't want, he doesn't want to get out the door. He's like, no, don't, I don't want to go through the thresh the floor, right, uh, the doorway. So, but the, the final one is probably my favorite one. Take a look at this. The toothbrush says, I hate my job, and the toilet, the toilet bowl cleaner says, seriously? <laughs> I mean, come on, come on. You hate your job? Just go spend a day with me, Right? Go spend a day with me. I think we just made history. I think that might be the first time that we ever told a joke at New Life about a toilet bowl cleaner. <laughs> We're making history right now because it's still up there, right? So let's go ahead and we'll wipe that off the screen, all right? There's a reason why we can joke about this. There's a reason why we laugh about it because a lot of times, statistically, it's gonna be true that you're gonna be affected by this. And one of the ways I know that is The average person in their lifetime is going to spend more time at work than they are going to spend quality time with their family. And if you're spending that amount of time at work, then I guarantee you at some point everyone's going to experience times of frustration, resentment, and even hatred towards that job. It's just a matter of time. At some point, that's where your heart and that's where your attitude is going to be. But in this series, 2020, God's asking us to find a clear spiritual vision for every aspect of our lives and make this year radically different in a godly way than last year. And that includes the way you see your work because the truth is God gave you work. He gave you work that your hands are supposed to do. And he gave you work that is up here. He gave you a mind that has the ability to think and process and do things that are different than the person next to you. And those combinations, your mind, your will, your emotions, your talents, your hands, that goes into you finding the vocation that God has designed for you. It may not be the one that you are like, I really love that. But it's what he designed for you. God gave you the work of your hands to do. This is a great example. It goes all the way back to Adam and to Eve. Okay, look with me in Genesis chapter 2. It says, the Lord God, he took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to what? Read it with me. To work it and what? Take care of it. Like, this is the perfect place. The garden. How can life get any more perfect than when God created earth and he created the garden, and he put man in it? I mean, I think that if, if, if you're really open and you're really honest, you would say, look, I would love to have been chosen to start out life there, in the perfectness of a garden, but in the perfectness of this garden that God created where everything was exactly perfect, before man had sinned, before man destroyed it all, which, by the way, if any of us were put in that same position as Adam and Eve, we would have done the exact same thing. Why? Because we are innately designed with an attitude towards sin and independence, right? So I don't slam slam them for what they did. It's unfortunate, but this is God's plan for our life. So you would have been in the same situation, in this perfect garden that God asked you to work it. So God's purpose for Adam and Eve was this, take care of my creation. It's the exact same purpose that God has for you. He wants you and me to care for To work on his creation. You are part of his creation. What he's given your hands and your mind to figure out and to do is part of his creation. Where we sit today is part of his creation. This earth that we walk on is his creation. I'm saying that the vocation that you're walking in and that you're called to do is a part of God's creation. He's called all of us to work it with diligence and with excellence. Therefore, God has a high expectation, guys, for the work that he's given your hands to do. And this was something that the Apostle Paul, in the New Testament, he had a firm grip on the attitude of God, the character and the nature of God, the values of God. The Apostle Paul had a very uh, close-knit understanding of those values that God has. Okay, and enough that he understood that God's the one who's called us to work. So therefore, he taught that principle with some very, very tough words. Take a listen to what he was teaching to this church in Thessalonica in chapter 3. Pay attention. I'm gonna, I'll stop a couple of times. I want you to stop with me. When we stop reading, just bring your attention right back here for a moment because there's a couple of things that you have to capture in this passage. So he says this, and now, dear brothers and sisters, We give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a serious command, by the way. It's not not a command just from Paul. It's a command from the Lord Jesus Christ. How weighty is that command versus a command that would just be Paul's suggestion? Radically different, right? So this is a command from the Lord Jesus Christ. That brings a lot of weight to this now. He says this, stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition that they received from us. Please pay attention. He didn't say stay away from all unbelievers. He said stay away from believers. People that have understood that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that Jesus gave his life on the cross, he rose again on the third day, and that they would claim him as their Lord and their leader and that they choose to worship him. He says stay away from those people who live idle lives? What does it mean to be living an idle life? That's something you're going to want to look for in this passage as we continue to read it. What does he mean by idle? Is it like they go to work every day, and then when they go home, they have nothing to do, and they veg out on Netflix every night? Is that what he means by idle? What does he mean by idle? You're going to want to focus in on that, idle lives. And they don't follow the, look, here's the third thing, the tradition they receive from us. So there's something that Paul is going to unveil to you that he's been living out in front of these people, right? And he's going, look, they don't do that, but they ought to. And he even goes as far as to say this, for you know that you ought to what? Imitate us. Like God has sent Paul to these people to, to, to preach the gospel, to live a life according to the truth of Jesus Christ, and to set an example for them to follow, So what does it mean to live idle lives, and what's this example that Paul set for them? We need to know that to get the truth of this passage. So let's continue on. I'm starting verse 7 again. Let's go back, verse 7 again. For you know that you ought to imitate us, okay? We were not idle when we were with you. Totally different. We weren't that way. Let's go on. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night. This is the example. Here's the example I've set, right? He's saying, we worked hard day and night so that we would not be a what? A burden to any of you. He knew it's a small church. They can't afford a pastor right now. They can't afford to sustain Paul and you know whoever's with him. They can't do it. So he worked day and night so that he would not be a burden to them anymore. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, though. God sent us to you. You know, a person who's called to full-time vocational ministry is worthy of their pay. That's one of the things that the Bible drives home. So he goes, look, we certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Listen to these words. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. What? That's in the Bible? Yep. That's a value that comes from God's heart? Yeah. Those who were unwilling to work don't even deserve to eat. And there's some other things that you could quickly associate with that. So what does it look like to live idle lives? It meant that he wasn't talking to people, by the way, that physically couldn't work. He was talking to people that had determined in their heart they didn't want to work. They didn't want to. Well, they had the opportunity, but they didn't want to. They thought things should just be given to them. They thought that, you know, by just following God, everything in life should just be easy. It should just come to them as natural. And that they should be able to, you know, do jobs that just make them happy all the time. And because they can't find the happy job, then they don't need to work. And God will just do supernatural things to provide for them. And Paul's like, no, I'm not even giving you that example. Paul's saying, like, look, I'm working a job. I'm working both day and night. So I'm not a burden to you. And when you offer me food, I don't even take it for free. I pay you for whatever it was that you had to go pay the grocery store. I'm I'm making my way. I'm I'm paying my own rent here, guys. Right? I'm paying for my own gasoline in my car, he's saying. Right? I'm paying for all my own food. I'm not a burden to you. This is the example I said, but yet you're living idle lives and Paul says, "Stay away from those kind of believers." Stay away from them. Now, that's a heavy, serious word. Man, I remember when I well, I was in the Air Force back in the year of our Lord blah blah, blah 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 and I got out I got out of the Air Force and went into full-time ministry. I remember the desire of wanting now to live like my mentor. My mentor was on staff at a large church full-time. He, he got his salary, right? Uh, I mean, he, he, lived, he lived in a nice house. He drove a nice car. He had health insurance. They were putting money away for his retirement. He had an expense account. He had money to use for ministry. And I kind of like, well, I, I want to be like that. That was my mentor. Right? I want to be able to like, jump into full-time ministry and have all of those types of tools at your resources to go out and make a difference for the kingdom. But God called me to Valdez, a small town, very much like a lot of Nebraska. And in that small town, he called me to go on, on the team at a church that could barely afford to pay their lead pastor. Therefore, there was no money for me. And I had no budget. I wasn't getting any retirement. I wasn't getting any health care. Right, I had a family of, uh, of my wife and I and four kids, okay, and uh, man, we had to figure this out. God called us there. I can't just idly sit back and go, well, if that church appreciates what we, what we do, man, they'll come by our house randomly every day and just give us stuff. Paul was speaking to people like that. He was going, stay away from those people, okay, because they don't deserve it. You're enabling them when you continue that behavior with them. So what we had to do is we had to go figure out how we're going to support the, the, the family. And so we had four kids, right? And they were young. Um, they, I think they were just starting into school. They hadn't been in school long, but they were there in the early ed, you know, elementary ages. And so we decided, look, it was going to be cheaper, more efficient, and more effective, by the way, for Kim to see her staying at home as her work, because it was going to cost more money if we tried to send the kids to daycare, right? So that was her work, and she did it really well, guys. She did it with joy in her heart. She was fantastic at it, and I look at our kids now, and I go, man, our kids are amazing because of Kim, and that includes Andy. <laughs> so, that's everybody. That's all four of them, okay? So she did a wonderful job. I... I then would go out into the community and find work. So one of the things that I did was I found a job at the junior high and the high school, and I worked during their lunch hour, and I kind of organized events and games. And it was awesome that the school gave me the job to do that during their free time because I was called to be a youth pastor. So what the school didn't know is that while I am in there doing this, we're just building natural relationships, and then the students find out, hey, this guy does a youth ministry, and then they come. Like, I'm not in the school proselytizing, I'm just building relationships, and then when I'm out in the community, they're like, wow, we want to go hang out with that guy. And so spiritually, we got to make a massive impact in people's lives just by working two or three hours a day getting paid $11 an hour, which, by the way, if you do the math, it's not enough money to feed the mouths of six people and keep a roof over their house and keep gas in the car. You get what I'm saying? So then I had to go find another job. This other job came from a very generous couple that had a lot of business activity in Valdez. And they owned this, they owned this like office complex that had multiple different people working in it. It was a two-story kind of a building. And they needed somebody to clean it. It had to be done at night after business hours. And so I needed some extra money uh, for my family. And so I took that job. And night after night, I would go to the building in Valdez. And that was joy. I wish that I could say that I did. I went to that building kind of begrudgedly. I remember pulling myself out of the house on a cold winter night, hopping in the car, driving over there, filling the bucket with water, getting the mop out, and mopping that thing, right? And going, can't these guys, like, wipe their feet off? Like, what's the problem with this? Right? And I'm, like, vacuuming the hallways. And I'm going, Seriously? Like, you just left a piece of paper sit there. For real? How many people are in this office area, right? Can't you pick that thing up, and I'm in the bathroom with the toilet bowl cleaner, right? I'm cleaning the toilets. I'm doing all of that. Guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I did not, I was not thankful for that job. I did it, but I wasn't thankful for it. Now I look back, and I'm like, I'm so glad that, God, you put me in that situation. You were doing something in me that I didn't know that you were doing in me. You're giving me an understanding that everybody is, everybody's called to a certain role. Everybody's called to do a certain thing and every little piece matters. And God, what you really wanted me to do, and I'm so, I'm so repentive right now and so sorry that, that I didn't see that as a blessing from the Lord to take care of me and my family. You know how much more I would have gained out of that? You know how much more joy I would have had? Like, holy cow, if they just would have had iPods back then, I could have at least put some music in. But you know how hard it is to mop with that big CD thing hanging off of you? You know how hard that is? You guys remember that? Right? And then you do it too much and you hit it and it jumps and it skips. I mean, that was lame technology. If I just had better technology, maybe I would have loved that job better. But the Apostle Paul, he worked both day and night. So they could set an example for them so they could drive home a point that, look, everybody's called to work. God's given you a desire in your heart to find the place that he wants you to be. God created you to work. But there's a big fallacy. The big fallacy is this. Well, if God created me to work, then that means that God will always give me work that I love. That's a fallacy. God's not always going to give you work that you love, by the way. Okay, that's not always going to be the case. Hence, I just gave you one good example of it. You're not always going to get work that you love. And this has caused people to tend to jump from job to job, searching vocation after vocation, jumping from thing to thing, and not finding any happiness in it. Because you're thinking that in God created me to work, God must then, therefore, want to give me something that's going to make me happy. And that's not always the case. And there's been people, some of you are sitting here right now, as you said no to opportunities of employment, because to you, you didn't think it was going to make you happy that God gave you to say yes to, because you assume that God created me to work, therefore everything I do is going to make me happy. Let me just say this to you. All right, let me drive the truth home that's a little bit more, you know, pungent. You don't always get to make your living doing what you love. If you are doing what you love and making a living at it, you should be ecstatic, excited and thankful to the Lord. Every single day that you wake up, you should be thankful to the Lord that you get to do something that earns a living for you, that is something that you love. But Whether you love it or you don't love it right now, God still is demanding, he's commanding, and he's asking you, what's the spiritual vision for your work? How is your work going to bring glory to me, worship me, and how is your, how is your work going to grow my kingdom and love other people? How's that going to happen? Because that's the expectation God has for all of us. There's some people in, that came about before Jesus really shows up on the scene and Luke chapter 3, where John the Baptist is out, and he's doing his mission, and there's some guys that have some jobs that are not the most desirable jobs, and they come to John, and they're basically asking him a question about their employment and how it relates to them being in right relationship with God and moving forward, what should they do about their jobs? And I thought that of all things, this might be a very practical a uh, piece of scripture that you would want to know about. So, if you don't know who John the Baptist is, this is what John the Baptist was doing. In verse 3, it says that John John the Baptist, he went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, excuse me, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. So he's a forerunner of Jesus. He's telling people about this Messiah that is to come and what it looks like to be in right relationship with God. you got to be baptized as an act of repenting of your sins. One of the things that we still practice is water baptism. It's now now more, because of what Jesus has done, it's now more a sign of my obedience and commitment to Christ than it is the, the aspect that John's talking about where it is now the total forgiveness of sins. But nevertheless, that was John's mission. That's what he was doing when this group of people come to him. Listen listen to what happens next in verse 12 through 14. It says, even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized. And they asked this, teacher, what should we do? What should we do? Why, why would you ask that question? What should we do? They're asking what should we do because they hold an occupation that's known in the community as a corrupt occupation. They have an occupation that takes advantage of people, that misuses them, that says, oh, your taxes are 50? No, really, they're 75, and they're pocketing 25 in their pocket. They're corrupt. And the, and the idea is this, that they are standing before now the one who is representing God to them, who's telling them what it looks like to be in right relationship with God in a job that they now understand is not something in the way it's being done, is not something that God would approve of. So then they're saying, what about us? What do we need to do? Here's what John the Baptist says to them. Here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to collect no more taxes than the government requires. Same attitude. What should we do, though? We're soldiers, Soldiers in that day are not like soldiers in our day. Soldiers in that day, they weren't, many times they were not even paid enough to take care of their needs. Uh, They were not honorable, right? And here's how we know that, because John replies to them and says this, here's how you should live. Here's how you should do your job as a soldier, right? Don't extort money, because evidently that's what they were doing. Or make false accusations, because that's what they were doing as well. And be content with your pay. Don't manipulate other people and take the money from them. Be content with what you've been given. I want you to notice, loud and clear, John didn't tell any of these guys that have these jobs that they probably wanna get away from and they don't wanna be a part of and they're hoping that the, the one who's talking about the Messiah will give them a command from God, leave that wicked job. But instead, he tells them to do what? He tells them, look, be honorable in what you do. Be full of integrity in what you do, right? And love people in what you do. Guys, this is the same message God has for you. And whatever work and whatever vocation you have, whether you like it, you love it, or you hate it right now, or you resent it, or you're finding no meaning, you're finding no purpose in it. It's where God has you right now and what God would say to you is the same thing that John the Baptist said to the corrupt tax collector and the corrupt soldier. Live with honor before God. Live with integrity before God. Right? And love people. He didn't call them to be priests. He didn't call them to be missionaries. He didn't give them the command to leave their job. He told them to stay there. He didn't even chastise them for the fact that they do corrupt jobs. So he didn't come down hard on them for the fact that they do these jobs that manipulate people. That's not what he did at all. He comes to them and he says, be honorable. Be full of integrity. Love God and love people. He basically says this, see your work whatever God's given your hands to do, see your work as worship, which is exactly what God's word says in Colossians. It says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. That one principle alone will change the way you wake up tomorrow. You're not going into a job working for people. Yeah, you have a boss and you should honor them. Whoever they are, Don't talk bad about them in the back hallway. It is only a disgrace upon you. It only tears you down. It's only a breach of your own integrity. Don't take advantage of the company because you think the company doesn't pay you what you deserve. That's not sticking it to the man, that's sticking it to you. Don't slack off and be at your desk when you're supposed to be doing work and all you're doing is checking your emails and your, so, your social media, and you know, you're, you're, going, you're doing things that are on the business time that you're doing for you. Like, that's, not a, that's not a like, look, how, look what I got done today in my social media while I was getting paid to do it. You're not getting paid to do that. You're getting paid to do the job. It's only a disgrace on you. It's a breach of you, your honor, your integrity. It's you going, I'm not thankful for what God's given me. And when you lose your job because of those kinds of things, Don't expect the rest of us believers to rally around you and have pity on you. Because Paul says, stay away from those kind of idle-minded individuals. Now here's the good news today. We're not shunning anybody at New Life. Today. (laughs) But let God's word penetrate your heart today. Because you're not going to work for a man tomorrow. You're going to work for him. God. That's what God has called us to do. And when you realize that, when you wake up and you realize that, then everything becomes worship, guys. That's when you start to clearly see work as a calling. I'm so proud, man. There's, There's so many of you that I've talked to that you use your work as a calling. You go to work and you see it as an opportunity to make sure that people see the light of Jesus shining through you. Thank you. You lead people. And whatever job you have, you lead them with the integrity of Christ, and you want to lead them in a way that's biblical. Thank you for doing that, no matter what it is that you do. I know that some of you, you own your own businesses, and you've even set up some of the core values in your business to be Christ-centered core values. Thank you for doing that. That's what happens when you see your work as a calling. You see your work as worship. Which, by the way, the Latin word vocatio is the word where we get vocation, vocation, but more powerfully is the word where we get calling. So the word that we get vocation from is the same word we get calling. That's how I can with confidence say to you that your vocation is a calling from God no matter what it is that you do. And if you're desiring to get out of that and to go into full-time ministry as if that's the calling, I would say to you, stay where you're at, live with integrity, live with honor, and do it until you can't do anything else but give your life to full-time ministry because when you do, you're probably gonna start out working two hours every day, getting paid $11 an hour, and working at night as well to take care of God's people. That's what God has called us to do, to see our vocation as a calling, which, by the way, let's go back. Let's go back to Genesis, back to the very beginning. This is how we're going to end. The very first scripture we use, look at it closely with me. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to what? Say the word. To work. That word work in the original language that the Old Testament was written in, that word work is the exact same word that God uses for priests when he says, what I want you to do is I want you to work in the temple and lead God's people into worship. The same word that he gave Adam and Eve to work in a garden is the same word he gave priests to work in the temple and to lead people to worship. Therefore, the word work to you in God's eyes is something that's very meaningful and it's very purposeful and it is an act of worship. So with that knowledge and with that understanding, I want to take you to a moment of solitude. Where you now get a chance over the next two to three minutes, because in this in this series, that's the way we're ending every sermon. Okay, in a moment of solitude. I want you to take the next few moments and I want you to capture God's heart for you and for your work. Over these next couple of minutes. And to help you, I've given you a couple of starter points. Consider this: starting your time of solitude with your prayer as this: God, change my heart. Change my heart. To see my work as a calling from you. That's where you should start. God, do that. Change my heart so I can see my work as a calling from you. And not begrudgingly go in tomorrow. And somewhere in your prayer, you might want to look back up at the screen and you might want to say, God, show me how you can use my work to grow your kingdom. Help me to see it, God, because I'm missing it right now. I just see it as crunching numbers. But you see the people I sit with every day. I just see it as selling a food item, but Lord, you see it as preparing it with love and integrity and, you know, in in a right way so that it's the best product it can be to someone else. And you're going, that's worship to you. So guys, look, take the next two to three minutes and seek God for this clear 2020 spiritual vision that God has for you and for your work this year.